This is On Deck, conversations about entrepreneurship with Les Deck. Good morning and welcome to On Deck. Our guest this morning is Marshall Dawson, founder and CEO of Jardesca California Aperitiva. He is also a chief deviator for Deviant Marketing, a firm he founded uh, to challenge the conventional wisdom in marketing, which sounds like a good idea to me. I met Marshall several months ago while doing a research for a branded spirits launch for one of my clients. I quickly realized uh, that he has extensive knowledge in the spirits industry, and he's been an invaluable source of advice for us. Um, Marshall, welcome. And, Thank uh, you, Les. Nice uh, thank be you for here. being here with us today. I, I know you've been really busy. You moved from one part of the country to another recently. Yeah, it, it's been crazy. <laughs> it's been a crazy summer, but productive. So Okay. Well, um, in our time this morning, I'd like you to start uh, by just talking about your early experience, kind of a synopsis of your career in, in the businesses you've been in, in the spirits business, uh, particularly probably, prior to starting your own enterprise. Sure, sure. I, well, I came out of college in 1991, and I um, immediately was hired by a, an agency, actually, called Rossray Communications, which no longer exists in, uh, in Birmingham, Michigan. And uh, the interesting thing that happened was I was placed on a team that was very unique in that agency, which was a promotions team that focused on everything that wasn't car related, because that was in southeastern Michigan. So there was a lot of car. There was actually, they had Kmart as well, if you recall, which all the way from when it was Kresge. So um, it's uh, it was a it was a very large independent agency at one point finally got gobbled up like all of them did, but I ended up on this very unique promotions team, and my client was Hiram Walker, and Hiram Walker was one of the biggest spirits companies. Um, they they were known for Canadian Club, so that was in Windsor, Ontario, and it was kind of a random thing that they said, "Well, you're you're." you know, University of Michigan biz guy and marketing. And so they thought it would be a good fit for me to do something that was a little bit different than everybody else from the car company. And that kind of started me on a journey in spirits that I never would have thought uh, I would have been in that sector at all. Um, yeah, weird, weird life, right? My, the culmination of that from a, from a corporate perspective was that uh, my most recent corporate job was actually the global brand director of Bombay Sapphire Gin and Grey Goose Vodka. I left that now about 16 years ago, which is crazy as well. Um, and about 10 years ago, founded my own. Um, it's not technically a spirit. It's a, a, a wine-based aperitif called Jordesca. But along the way, I had all kinds of interesting, um, not only jobs, but experiences, um, travel. I've got about three and a half million air miles to my name at this point. Uh, I wasn't on a plane till I was 18 years old, but now I have three and a half million air miles. So kind of a funny thing, but um, this, one of the things that I really loved about the spirits industry was the lifestyle angle. And I, I, like I said, I never really thought I would, I would be in that sector, but once I got into it, it's, ve it's a very social um, category, obviously. Obviously, a big part of it is sociability. But when you get in the higher end things, it's it's much more luxury branding and marketing than it is consumer packaged goods. 
And I think that's been one of the fascinating things for me. So from the agency, actually, my my client hired me, Harm Walker. I used to commute from the United States to Canada on a on a daily basis for a Cross while. The bridge. Cross, Cross the bridge. And the tunnel. So. Oh, the tunnel. Okay. Interesting little trivia fact. The only place that you can go south in America to reach Canada is from southeastern Michigan because Canada loops under. <laughs> so I used to commute south to Canada for a period of time. And then after that, um, Bacardi bought Bummy Sapphire and Dewars from what was uh, Graham Matt. And then they, they formed with them in Shifflin and created Diageo, the world's biggest spirit company. And they sold off some of their assets. And one of those uh, purchases was uh, Dewar's Scotch. And that was about a billion and a half dollar purchase. And about a billion of that was in Dewar's. And most of that was in the United States. So at 28 young years, they headhunted me because I had been working on single malts for Harm Walker, um, which was a beautiful job. Got to go to Scotland and really cool. They hired me to run Dewar Scotch in the United States um, at 28. And from there, I did that for about five years, launched Dewar's 12-year-old and did some other things, did a lot of um, BDI, CDI analysis. It had been run as more as a regional brand with because of their portfolio. So we did some expansion work, beat the acquisition model quite well. And, and then Mike Bacardi asked me to go run Bombay Sapphire globally. So I moved to London, which was an amazing experience and spent about three and a half years there. And then they bought Grey Goose and give you an idea of multiples in cash in the spirits industry for $2.2 billion. And they handed me Grey Goose and said, please run that as well. So I did uh, Grey Goose and Bombay Sapphire for um, two or three years before I left the corporate world. So that's kind of my early, you know, yeah. resume list. Uh, um, a wonderful scotch and the uh, world's best tasting vodka. <laughs> Indeed. Yeah, <clears throat> one of my favorite marketing campaigns ever. Last, so the definition of vodka is colorless, tasteless, odorless spirit. And Sidney Frank had a ranking done where he was, where it was ranked as the world's best tasting vodka, and that was their entire campaign and tagline. And they built it to an asset that sold for two point two billion. So, pretty amazing the things you can do in, in marketing and branding. I think. Yes, indeed, Marshall. Um, that's an amazing story. So you had this great career going, executive level jobs early, lots of industry recognition and respect. You had already uh, at um, a little over 30 um, established a great track record. Why did you decide to embark on your own business and build a brand from scratch? Yeah. So um, everyone thought I was insane. So when I left Bobby Sapphire and Grey Goose, the first thing was I found out, of course, after you tell them you're leaving, they said, well, we were going to, you were going to be the CMO of America for Bacardi. And I said, well, I'm glad you told me now. Although but between you and I, one of the reasons I left was I was getting to the point where I, I couldn't focus on branding and marketing as much. My next step would have been general management or C-level exec. And you start to pull away, as you know, less. you pull away and you go more into the administration, the business side and that kind of thing. And one of my passions especially from a professional perspective, but it kind of crosses over even to coaching and things like that now is the concept of brand. And I don't just mean, you know, the way we, we look at brand is brand names, but the holistic approach to brand. So I was loving that. I had Bami Sefer and Grey Goose. They, they did an analysis at the time. This was 05, just 
I left in 06, of the top 20 growth opportunity brands in the spirits industry on a global basis. And I had two of them that I was managing. So I was laughing. I said, I had 10% of the the next, you know, 10 years future growth opportunities in the global spirits industry, um, managing assets of about at that time, $3 billion, you know, was the book value operating truly globally. People used to say to me, well, certainly you're not the global brand director. I mean, what's your market? And I would say, well, the global part gives you an idea of what my market is. So, well, that's not possible. It's, well, you're not looking at it. You're thinking of sales or you're thinking of marketing manager. My role was almost brand owner, right? So it was really to manage that asset, to make sure that people knew what they were doing globally. So I was loving that. What I wasn't loving was the corporate world and kind of the way that you have to behave if you want to make it in a very large organization of any kind, frankly. It wasn't about my ex-employer per se, And you know this less because you've done it and you coach people and you, you know, you know the way that it works and you start to have to, and I don't mean do things that were necessarily unethical or immoral, anything like that, but it becomes less about the work and more about the maneuvering. And I, up until that point, had been promoted an average of every 12 months in my entire career. In fact, when I moved to the global side, people said, well, certainly you don't think you'll keep up that record. And I said, well, why not? <laughs> why not? So I did. They gave me great goose and all that. And I had functioned on just doing good work. And in fact, one of the things that I take great pride in is the work we did on Bombay Sapphire and Grey Goose was the work that was held up globally by the organization to show people how to do luxury marketing and branding. So to me, I'd kind of done a lot of what I wanted to do from a brand and marketing perspective. And I was right at that path where you continue to be an expat or you go, you know, you go sea level, you change. I had gotten married. I, I had my one daughter and then was thinking about more kids and just decided I wanted to take a hard left turn. And I'll never forget one of my dear friends said, well, what are you going to do? And I said, well, I'm going to consult. And he said, well, what does that mean? I said, well, I'll figure it out. <laughs> yeah. I'll be my first client. <laughs> I mean, you know, um, the good news was one of my dear friends who actually is the co-founder for, of Jardeska, Roger Morrison, and the co-founder of Deviate Marketing, he and I had worked together from those early days of single malts, and we had become very close friends. He had worked at very large agencies, including Shiat Day and many others, and had started his own agency. And he had worked on every brand I ever ran. He did something with me, sort of one of the right hand, not just agency people, but consigliere, you know? So Roger and I remained close and did work together, did all kinds of great stuff together. When I left, <clears throat> I was going to kind of do my own consulting. And then Roger had what a uh, company called ID8 Marketing. And he and I came up with Deviate Marketing in sort of 08. And uh, that was the start of the consulting. And then we have both always wanted to start our own brand and we'd consulted with a lot of other people. And so we thought, well, let's do that as well. Yeah. Well, that's, that sounds like a lot of other entrepreneurial startup stories. Uh, We'll figure it out as we go. Um, We have to uh, uh, withstand our friends telling us that we're uh, entirely off our rocker. Oh yeah. Uh, That that you have to, uh, 
ignore the best uh, advice you can get or pay for. Um, yeah. And that you, you can only do it if you can't not do it. That's what makes an entrepreneur, I think. That's really true. That's what happened with Jared Aska. In consulting, it's funny, people used to say to me, and you'll appreciate this because of your background and anyone listening that's been a consultant or an entrepreneur or done a service industry on your own versus creating a thing that requires raising capital and all the beauties, wonderful things we know, is I would have people say, well, you're not really an entrepreneur when I was a consultant. And I would get a little, my nose a little out of joint. Like, what do you mean? I doing my own thing and I left and I, I don't go to work every day, you know, for the man. <laughs> and I thought, well, after I started Jardeska, I realized exactly what they meant. <laughs> yeah. You're not really an entrepreneur until you're writing checks back to the company and until you're wondering how, you know, how to renegotiate that or raise millions of dollars or whatever it is. And so, yeah, Roger and I, I think it, there was a part of me that was always, I can't not do it. And I'm just goofy enough to be the kind of person you heard what I said when I was like, well, I don't know. I'll figure it out. I'm that guy. I, 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 I can't say that I'm ultimately like a serial entrepreneur, but I am the guy that says, oh, I don't know. I'll do it and I'll figure it out. So the house I'm sitting in now is in Michigan and beautiful lake house. And a long time ago, I grew up in Southern Michigan. A long time ago, I thought, well, I want to have a place in Michigan that I will be in someday and then, you know, hopefully pass on to my children and things like that. And I was living in California at the time and I just did it. And people said, what do you mean you bought a house in Michigan? What, how, what are you going to do? How are you going to manage it? And I said, I'm just going to, I made it a VRBO business, managed it long distance, would open it and close it. And, you know, it, it paid the mortgage for 10 years. And um, I think you have to, you know, as we kind of talk a little bit more about the entrepreneurial thing, now that I am truly an entrepreneur, not a consultant and not a C-level exec. Um, not only do you just have to be able to not do it, but you have to be willing to believe that anything's possible. Because if you don't believe anything's possible, you will never talk yourself into doing it. Right. You can't, as a matter of fact. Yeah. Because most I, good entrepreneurial ventures, you can't pencil it out and make it work. Even if right. you do a good business plan and say to people, oh, look at the opportunity. Right. You know, the thing still doesn't exist. I, I kind of refer to myself as an entrepreneurial consultant because I only take actually very few consulting assignments. And they're stimulating to me because I don't know about these industries often. Yes. Uh, and uh, it's uh, exciting because I don't know and because I'll do what you're describing, which is just begin to. Um, stomp around in the industry. And um, in today's world with uh, internet resources, you can learn an awful lot. Unbelievable. Quickly. Uh, and if you have uh, a business, if you think about business and you, you know, breathe and eat business, then you like a sponge, you can pick these things up. And I assume that that's what you did. I have another question for you. And you kind of referred to it when you said, now I became an entrepreneur. And that, that uh, usually is about the time you're putting your own paychecks in the top desk drawer and you're going to, uh, you hope you can cash them a few um, days later. Been there myself. What were the biggest barriers and challenges that you and Roger faced when you were getting the enterprise off the ground? And I'm talking about the Jordesca enterprise. Yeah. So, we created something completely from scratch in a category that isn't known, wasn't known in America and still kind of isn't. There's a couple of brands that I'll talk about 
that have that have come around and we saw it coming. I mean, that's one of the things to go back to right where you were just talking about and it'll feed into this is I kind of I remember in high school, a teacher used to give us vocab tests and it was a history professor, a history teacher. And and I had other friends that were incredulous. Why would you give us vocabulary tests? And he would say, because you need good vocabulary. (laughs) Why wouldn't I? And um, and then he would always give us one or two extras. And he would say, for those of you with the thirst, unquenchable thirst for knowledge, here you go. There's just a couple extra. And when you were just talking about how you enjoy working in categories, you don't know. I find as much joy in that as working in the category category and categories that I do know and the building of the bridges of those things and the cross-marketing and the connecting. We always call it connecting dots. And I, a very dear friend who was a facilitator that I used almost every <clears throat> organization I was at, one of the people that probably inspired me to become a strategic facilitator, who used to say, Marshall, the way your, your brain connects dots, I don't understand your connectivity aspect. So if we go back to Jardeska, Roger and I saw the low elk sessionable, lower proof thing happening 10 years ago. It hadn't happened. We saw it coming. We saw the, the bubbles. We saw the low proof and we saw the health dynamics. And I could go back and show you decks of here are the mega trends or the meta, you know, we like to, that are all influencing this idea of lower proof, lower alk sessionability. And I had lived in England and he had lived in England for 18 years of his life. And we knew what aperitifs were. Aperitif literally means to open. And as you know, but a lot of people don't in America, they're opening drinks. They're, you know, the, you start the meal with them. And so one of our biggest barriers back to what you asked me was that, A, no one knew what those were in America. I mean, I remember walking around Sonoma County after we created Jordeska and people saying, a what? And I, I, I just thought I'm in wine country. I'm in one of the top wine regions, you know, Napa, Sonoma, and I'm having people that are running high-end restaurants not know what an aperitif was. And I thought, wow, I don't think I gave full credit. <laughs> Sometimes your your dot connecting can be too right. So one of the biggest challenges was this thing doesn't exist. And I mean, that sounds kind of funny as an entrepreneur to say, well, what's one of your biggest challenges? Well, the thing we were doing didn't exist, but it is a challenge. So you're creating a name, a brand, because we're brand people. So Jardeska, which comes from Hardin or Jardin and then Eska. So it's fresh from the garden. If you're a brand person and you understand IP, you know that you have to find one that not only you can trademark, but no one else has. And pretty much no one has else in the world. So we created Jordeska. Obviously, we came up with our iconography and our brand and whatever and created the brand concept before we even went and did the liquid so that it would inform the liquid. And then the second part was, well, we want to create a liquid that's completely different. And that was a massive challenge because who's done that? Well, there are no aperitifs in America. There are no aperitifs in California. So who do you go to (laughs) to create something that no one's created? So our what we ended up doing is if you think about connecting the dots and the consolidator aspect of what I do kind of for a living. And I always have bring people together to solve problems. We hired a bartender that was really good with mixology and flavors and tastes. We sourced our own distillery because at that time, all the distilleries you see now did not exist. 
10 years ago. I mean, it was a real challenge to find a distillery. We tried different varietals of wine to see which ones we thought were right, because our whole concept from Jardaska is fresh from the Garden of California was that we were going to create a lighter, brighter, fresher, more delicious aperitif than any of the European aperitifs. Back to what I said earlier, there are Italian aperitifs that tend to be more on the bitter palate. So Campari, Aperol, those. There's Pastis in France, which is more that, you know, it's not really mint, but you know, I, you've probably had Pastis, but it's it, that's an aperitif as well. And then there's like things like Lillet, which is a French aperitif, but it's it's sweet. It's a little bit sweeter than what we wanted. When I was in France, I was so lost in the whole succession of wines they were feeding me during uh, an entire meal. Um, I didn't know whether I was at an aperitif or yeah, uh, exactly. wine or the red or whatever. <clears throat> I know they just keep coming and they do the pairings. and But um, so we wanted to create something totally different. So your barriers, right? One is, well, no, no one knows what this is. Two is no one's done this. So right out of the gate, you're like, okay. So that took us two years to create the recipe. And yet what we wanted to do is we knew we wanted to fortify wines, which means add a higher proof, but we still want to make it legally wine because this comes into the, one of your next challenges in this industry, which you and I have talked about project you've been working on is the inability to distribute except through what would be cons- called the three tier, which unfortunately is controlled by some very almost monolithic. I mean, they're, they're monolithic, but certainly it's, um, it's very questionable from a, a trade perspective in my mind distribution channels if you want to go sell through a store so one of the things was we created something that was legally wine because of that challenge as well so you have a distribution challenge right well that's all well and good so you get your your liquid it takes you a couple of years and that's a big challenge you're you get it together you bring it together well you've never done it before so and i don't think i've ever told anyone this story but one of our not our very first liquid our very first liquid was small very manageable by hand. I was sitting at the desk doing ratios with my, uh, my friend, not my friend, but the gentleman who, well, he was my friend as well, but we hired to do the liquid. And that was a small one. Then we went to the next one. We said, Oh, we took it out. And you know, the usual, like, let's just see what people think. And then we went to scale. Well, and then, and then the first scale production, we had a problem and, one of our people that was helping us did something wrong. And all I can tell you is that the liquid was not right. So next problem is, are you going to flush $70,000 worth of liquid? Um, and so then, you know, back to our, not just knowledge, but, you know, oh, we can get it done. At first you go, oh, we're dead. <laughs> and then, then you start looking around and winemakers go, oh no, the, you can fix this because they've, they've been through this and turns out you get a good winemaker and they know exactly what to do. And I will not share the secrets necessarily, but they were all completely, not only legal, but ethical and things they do all the time. Yeah. And sure. we managed to get the liquid tool. It was delicious. So there's another challenge. You got the production side, right? Of something you've never done before. Now you're scaling. Yeah. One of the, big challenges for me is a, is a created challenge, which is we all have our filters that we want to pretend we can put away. And I teach people to, so do you in coaching all the time. 
And I don't just mean internal biases that we like to talk about nowadays, but I mean, your experience clouds you. So I had worked in large organizations. I had run billion dollar brands and I was starting something from scratch. And so I will be honest with you. I, I have a laundry list of mistakes we can talk about if you like that were just my own filter last. So you talk about like challenges, you're your own biggest challenge a lot of times until you finally get a clue. Um, we weren't focused enough. And you always hear that. I mean, even while I was running Jordesca, I was listening to people from large brands who, you know, successful case studies talking about focus and you think, oh no, we're focused. Like, no, you're not. <laughs> you know? that's the, actually, that's the first thing I think of today when I'm asked to go and help uh, uh, do a strategic planning session or whatever. Uh, I I know, I, I just know that they're going to have 12. Too much. Uh, 12 problems that they uh, all consider uh, equally high in priority. Uh, and if you can't leave there that day with focus on three problems. That's it. It's over. I was doing some consulting the other day and I, I will, you know, names to protect the innocent. And they had their portfolio ranked and their, their products from the one to 10 of them. And I said, if you have 10 priorities, you don't have priorities. So we're going to have to have a conversation here about what are you getting rid of and what are you going to say? Or you better know what the specific priorities are. You can't just do this general priority, right? Okay. You have a format priority for a reason, or you have a distribution you're trying, you know, there can be a reason for these things, but then that's the focus within that. Well, Jared Esky, we did the same thing. We created it so that we could do more direct to consumer, but when we created it, direct to consumer wasn't what it is. And it wasn't what it is now after COVID. And so then we went back to what I knew, which was the three tier. And we got some really amazing distribution in the early days. But remember, you're operating in a category that people don't know. And <clears throat> these products, something that you don't drink regularly, you're not using, you know, use toothpaste every day. You pour milk on your cereal every day. Forget about whether they're commodity or branded or not. There's, there's recurring usage that is regular. If you're not in a category where someone's using you constantly, then you don't have that immediate uptake. So you can do a great job of getting trial and purchase. People love Jardesca. But then it's the repurchase that becomes the challenge. And now you're in the three tier. And you know what happens if you're in the three tier in stores and you don't get repurchase? Yeah. That's it. Yeah. Because yeah. That's, right. I myself have some liqueurs downstairs in the cabinet that uh, I, I know they're too old. Once a year. Yeah. yeah. You've yeah. had them for five years. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So now the thing that's interesting about something like a Jordesky is it was created to be sessionable daily drink. By the way, it lasts after you open it. So you don't have to throw it away for six weeks, unlike normal wine. So we, we built in, you know, we, we broke down the challenges along the way that were all informed and frankly smart. And people are like, what do you mean? That's amazing. And if you think about in a restaurant, like, oh, I don't have to get rid of that if I don't use it, but you're still wine and you're lower proof and you're very different. And so a lot, you know, you know, the very like, what are the bright spots? What are the good things? Still not enough focus. And then what happens is you get nailed along the way with all the things you don't know are going to happen. Like you have a distributor that you're finally making traction with and they decide to sell them off to one of the big distributors that you and I have talked about. Yeah. 
And so now there's no point in going there because the big distributor doesn't care about you from anybody. They have a book as thick as the, you know, is one of the old school Bibles and or encyclopedias and they don't care. So even the small ones, even the small ones, even the small ones, you have to work really hard if you can. And and what's crazy to me is I come up with ways to explain to them, not just the what's in it for me, but how to sell more of their other products because of Jordesca. So like we mix with sparkling wine, right? My aperitif that is a blend of three California wines and a botanical enlivened spirit is beautiful on its own, but it makes amazing spritzes and low alks, you know? And so Jardeska is a door opener for distributors. Jardeska can sell your portfolio. Jardeska, if you get it on a menu, is a repeat. So you have to go back to take more orders. Well, when you're running a wine portfolio, that's amazing because they don't always get the turn and what what we call the on-premise, the bars and restaurants. But, you know, the challenges, there's early challenges, there's the mid challenges, and then there's just the daily challenges of things you don't expect are going to happen, like COVID. Yeah. And when your primary distribution channel is the on-premise in California, which is bars and restaurants. So you can, you can in very quick order, figure out what happened to revenue during COVID there. Like a lot Um, of people. Yeah. And, and so I, I get, you know, there's nothing but challenges. I think there's the early stage challenges. There's the, okay, now you're in the market. And the only thing you can do is learn and change and, I do like, even though it's overused, the word pivot, because it is such a true thing. Um, the, the true pivot is, uh, you know, somebody who was making sweaters suddenly turns to make masks. Back, That's a pivot. That's an amazing pivot, right? And, and some of them did that kind of thing. So, well, and it's funny you should say that. So I, I told you a little bit about Jordaska and people that are listening to this won't know it, but it's, it's really simple. You, you don't have to be a mixologist, right? You pour Jardeska on ice, you add sparkling, you add a little garnish, you have a drink. So it's a beautiful, easy drink. You can just pour it on ice and add a twist. It, so there is no mixology. There's nothing. Along the way of having Jardeska, of course, you know what's happened with the low proof with canned cocktails, with seltzers and with spritzes. So then what have people say is, well, why don't you go into a canned format or why don't you do this? Or why don't you do that? And that would be a pivot as well. However, you're also then again, diluting what it is you're trying to do. And then you have to make a decision. Well, do I want to do that pivot? You know what it costs to go into a different format. You know, the capital implications. And then also you have, again, distribution implications because you're not even using the same people usually to distribute what we've already created. Right. So yeah, we have dodged and we've, the, the, the good news is we're still alive, that people adore our, our product and really our brand. I mean, our experience, when you experience Jordaska, um, the way we, we sample people and the experiential marketing and things like that, people just go nuts. They literally come over and say, what is this? And so it's, it's this constant reinvention. And I think, you know, when you hit these challenges, then you bounce off and you say, okay, what can we do now? And if you don't, you just, you, you give up, right? Well, you, you become stagnant in a dynamic world in a dynamic marketplace. And, and you just, uh, that's the way out. Yeah. That's right. It's kind of giving up. So um, you just described uh, all the same kinds of difficulties that, um, entrepreneurs go through even after they get their business going, 
even after they reach um, a reasonable level of volume and uh, turn the corner and begin to make profit, there is a continuing chorus of, uh, why don't you do this? Why don't you do that? Or we yeah. could do this and we could do that. Uh, and I, I've watched and most businesses that focus and stick to their knitting and make and migrate from one change to another do pretty well. Uh, and those who uh, try to uh, lurch back and forth between today's idea and where they are don't do pretty well. So what, what's really next for you, Marshall? So what's next for us is kind of putting it all together. And um, COVID, in a weird way, helped us on, on a few ways. Um, one is it completely accelerated direct-to-consumer purchasing in this category at a level that probably would have taken another 10 years to get to. And our product, you can sell D2C in almost every state because it's legally wine-based. So one of our big pivots has been, we will only use the three tiers, we call it, right? Which would be anything where you go through a distributor, whatever kind of distributor you use. And there's some that have been created that are distributor light, no humans, that kind of thing. Um, we will only use that for key volume and experience opportunities to hit the consumers we want. Like large retailers, like getting to a large retailer. Well, what's interesting is, large resorts oh. and, and beer and wine only because we have a ability to sample people and we become really important in beer and wine only accounts where we do wine cocktails because they can't do other cocktails, including even a lot of them don't do want to do white claw or like canned stuff and still want to serve you something pretty in a glass. But large resorts we have, we, we are perfect poolside. We're great welcome drinks. We're beautiful in room and things like that. So when I, it's interesting when you say focus, we're consumer guys and brand guys. And what we've finally done is said, who's our dang consumer we're trying to find and where do they go and where do we want to be specific? The things we always preach to everyone else. And then instead of going to large retail, you do a direct to consumer play and you get people into your club like a wine club. But it's this interesting piecing together of it, it doesn't follow a track of what anyone's really done in this industry. There's a few wineries that have come close to this, but not necessarily at scale. And because most of the scale is still in the three tier, then every time you get near a large company, then they go right back to that distributor model, et cetera, right? So what's next for us is to kind of take all the pieces, put them together, say, well, we know people love the Jardeska experience. We know people love the Jardeska taste. We know that people love, you know, um, using it. Let's focus on the trial in the right places, getting people into the fold, and then doing a better job of that direct consumer and customer relationship marketing to make them part of our, you know, Jardeska um, advocacy and family. And so that's been, if you kind of put all those things together, we're now coming out of that and saying, well, these are all the things that we've learned over time. And we're still alive, which is cool because a lot of people just say, well, no, you know, it's funny. People always talk about, you know, Tito's vodka. It's now the 
biggest vodka in the United States. Um, any one of these brands that you and I look at as a success, there's not one of them that pop. Even Grey Goose was one of the fastest turns ever. And after their initial launch, it wasn't working and they had to retool it and then learn and then pop, you know, and da da da. And then they, and then Sidney Frank, even before he passed away, said, We got lucky too. In other words, they had the right offering at the right time. Sure. So there's a luck element to the marketplace as well. So for us, staying alive through not just COVID, but getting our teeth kicked in multiple times on this distributor issue, learning these things the hard way is not necessarily bad you, when you put it back together and then you say, okay, it's almost, I don't like the term relaunch, but you're really constantly in a, you know, in that pivot thing and saying, well, how are we going to do it? So what's next for us now is, is to take those pieces, put them together and then you know, go, go back to scaling in that, that way. That's uh, so I'm, I'm speaking to uh, uh, someone who is a brand guru who understands everything about branding. And if you were talking to somebody else, Marshall, you might uh, uh, not yourself, uh, you, you, <laughs> might be, uh, you might be saying, okay, first, uh, uh, who is your customer? Let's define that customer, what they look like, what they walk like, what they talk like, what they buy, where they buy, etc. You did not do that. You're doing it now. You didn't do it then. We I did think. We did it then, but we did it at a scale that was too big, if that makes any sense. So we did it and we said, well, where do they shop? Right? Because you're going to go through the three tier. And so Whole Foods, I mean, we had Whole Foods distribution early on and it was the right target. And they loved it. However, the timing wasn't right. And we didn't have enough scale to stay in touch with them after they bought their first bottle. So the target was right. Even the quote initial distribution was right. But then it's continuing that journey. Does that make sense? So what we're saying is, okay, right target not necessarily right distribution point. And then how do you get them into the fold so that you stay with them, you know, classically. So it's really funny to say to your point, if I, if I was talking to myself in the past, or if I went and told somebody now I would, that word focus keeps coming back. It's really, and I've heard it over and over. I'm like, yeah, yes, we're focused. No, we were not focused. And by the way, there's a certain reality of, You've got to be honest with yourself about you can have a really cool product and a really cool experience and a brand that people love that makes sense. And it can even fit into that what's going on with them. But then you have to have the model, right? The business model to make that work. And that that's what I would go back. I would, you know, so yes, you're right. Now, having said that, you take a look at the consumer again you nuance it. Then you say what's gone in the marketplace. These are some of these pillars that I'm talking about with D to C and these things. Then you say, oh, focus doesn't mean you go to them at Whole Foods. Focus means you go to them at the, you know, top resorts in California and or in their neighborhoods, you go to the places they go to over and over and they see you on the menu over and over. And then, by the way, that's one of the oldest school tricks in this industry. Um, and so, and even focused geographically less. I mean, I can't say we did a great job of that. You know what I mean? That, so yeah. it's very funny. I, I 
we didn't have the wrong product. We didn't have the wrong brand. We don't have the wrong usage. We didn't have the wrong consumer. It's just the putting it together in a format, you know, that then you can make the virtuous circle happen. Yeah. It's the challenge. I, I rather imagine that uh, entrepreneurs listening in uh, this morning recognize a couple of uh, entrepreneurs and branders uh, uh, talking. They've probably seen a lot of the same kinds of mistakes, if not the same mistakes. You're yeah. in a different industry, but I could relate to all the mistakes you're talking about in businesses that I established. If there is a theme here this morning, it absolutely is focus. Yeah. And, uh, and for entrepreneurs uh, all over the place, irrespective of what uh, business you're in, because the marketplace is so vast, the because things move so, so quickly. And by the way, people will, they if they love you, they will take you. Yeah. Right. And then when you don't turn, they will kick you out. <laughs> so they're like, oh, I get it. I love you. Oh, no. I. By the way, the number of brands I've watched come and go that were people were talking about in the marketplace that were success stories come and go in the time we've been had Jardeska are innumerable. Yeah. I know you need to be like them or you need to be like them or why didn't you do this or why didn't you do this? Yeah. They've come and gone. And they go after they've already paid for the end cap or the shelf space too. <laughs> Or after people have given it to them because they're so amazing and huge, right? Yeah. But what's interesting is you need traction and you need almost that love thing, you know, the old advocacy and love piece. We're not part of the reason that some of these can things work so well is they you consume a lot and it's it's a it's closer to CPG consumer package good than it is to on a spectrum of you know a spirit or something, um, you know, luxury brands, you're not buying a new Louis Vuitton purse every week. You have to have a really deep love for some of these things. And you have to have a really deep connection with your consumer. And back to what you said to me is like, if I were me talking to myself, who wasn't myself, I'd say, Hey dummy, you know how you tell other people you need advocacy and love. Where was that piece? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Some of it is not knowing how to get it done, by the way. And I don't mean not me knowing how to do a marketing plan or not knowing how to talk to people, but the literal functionality of some things, which has also evolved rapidly, right? But you've seen people that build on, okay, well, we're going to do Instagram now. And then the bottom's cut out of Instagram and you go, oh, wait, now what? Right? So that focus thing, I think to your point, and I'll build on what you said, is like Marshall talking to Marshall, would you listen this time, isn't. Re, it isn't define your consumer or redefine your consumer. It's stay true to it and stay true to how you'll stay connected to them. That's your focus. And if you're not doing that with something that is unique and different and new, and you're, it's not going to work. It's not going to work because you're concentrating on the damn distributor or the retailer or what the retailer tells you should do or what the, you know, or this person or, oh, well, those guys said we should produce this much and then we should go broad market into target. Right. And, oh, and then you're done for whatever the reasons are. Sometimes they're cash flow issues. Sometimes they're production issues. Sometimes they're right. You didn't turn just enough. Yeah. To see ya. You're in and out. Right. So, yeah. All right. So um, Marshall, it's been a fascinating conversation this morning. 
um, I, I'm sure that uh, the entrepreneurs who listen in will uh, recognize uh, all of our stories. You and I are on both sides of it. We're both entrepreneurs yeah. in a serial fashion and coaches and consultants in the same way. Why don't you uh, tell our audience the easiest way to get in touch with you? Yeah. So we'll the easiest way to get in well. touch with me would be on LinkedIn, Marshall Dawson, Deviator, and Jardeska. Um, I'll also put out a, an email if anybody ever wanted to write me, which is mdawson at, and I'm going to give them deviate marketing, D-E-V is in Victor, I-A-T-E marketing.com if you want to write me directly. But LinkedIn is great. I like, you know, connecting with people and keeping that Um and then a shameless plug, if if you were intrigued by Jardeska, it's www.jardeska.com. Obviously, you put it in Google, it pops up. And we have a very cool um, little trial pack where you get um, a 200 ml with a club soda, and then you can link to a video of how to try Jardeska. And, you know, you can try it. And then if you you like it, we have a, a great club where you get three shipments a year and it's not a it's not too much. It's not a crazy wine club thing. And if uh, you can pop on and you can look at Jardaska, it's a, it's, it's a fun, it's great for entertaining. It is wonderful for um, brunches and um, pre-dinner party and, you know, being outside and poolside and that kind of thing. And so everyone should try that. They can, they can go to, to me on LinkedIn and they can use that email as well. Excellent. Always a promoter. Marshall. You have to. Absolutely. You got to ask for the order less. I know. I mean, <laughs> if you don't ask for the order, you don't get it, right? Call to action. Absolutely. <laughs> Marshall, thank you so much. It's been terrific to have you here this morning. It's my pleasure, Les. This has been On Deck with Les Deck. Thanks for listening. In each episode, we uncover wisdom you can use to grow your business. If you want to learn more about leadership team coaching, visit us on the web at lesdeck.com. If you have questions or anything else you want to say, email us at les at lesdeckconsulting.com. Don't forget to click that subscribe button wherever you get your podcasts. This is a Les Deck production.